Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm really excited to have on today's show Steve Olsher, who is the chairman and founder of Liquor.com, an online pioneer who has launched CompuServe's electronic mail in 1993, the New York Times bestselling author of What Is Your What? Discover the One Amazing Thing You Were Born to Do. And he's an author of several other books, um, has been on radio, TV, magazines, everything. And his big thing is helping people get exceptionally clear on their what. So what is that one thing that they were created to do? And I've known Steve for a while. Uh, he's been somebody who I've, I've admired and respected and studied from afar uh, for a long time. And I think he's one of those brilliant people online who are doing great things that you can learn a lot from, kind of no matter where you're at, whether you're getting started, kind of bootstrapping, or you're more established. And today, I know, I think we'll, we'll get to it today, um, we're going to talk about how to get massive visibility at virtually no cost. So how do you get, how do you build an audience? How do you build um, awareness, exposure, and, and, and use that to help grow your business? So Steve, thanks so much for being in the trenches with us today. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on. Awesome. So before we get into kind of the meat and potatoes with that topic, um, backtrack a little bit. You started, you've been online for, for quite a while. Like really, at uh, you know, toward its inceptions when, when we're talking the '90s. So maybe just give us a little snapshot of what was what was life like back in the '90s when you were kind of pioneering um, the internet and online space. Yeah, it's uh, 1993 to be exact when we launched on CompuServe's electronic mall. So a uh, few years, man, already, and um, it, you know, it was interesting because. Back in those days, and perhaps you may have a recollection of this, uh, but back in those days, that was when you went to the grocery store and there were those discs. At first, actually, you had to buy the discs, uh, and then they just gave the damn things away. But the discs were like from America Online and, and CompuServe and Prodigy and some of those. Uh, it, basically, those were the internet service providers of the day. And I just always had been attracted to technology throughout my life. And when I saw that, you know, just, man, I had no hesitation about grabbing it and uh, started out on CompuServe. That was the horse that we rode. And we were in the catalog business at that point and thought, you know, maybe we'll, um, we'll put some of our product online in what they called their electronic mall. Mm-hmm. And see what happens. And so that was uh, that was 1993, and uh, we eventually launched one of the first fully functional e-commerce sites in uh, 1995. So that was a really interesting period of time. And was that with Liquor.com, or was that another business that you you started on? So that became Liquor.com. At the time, it was called Liquor by Wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those who are not familiar with Liquor by Wire. Uh, at that point in that iteration, it was pretty much like FTD uh, is for flowers. Mm-hmm. We would have a, a person give us a call. We had a Watts line, an 800 number that uh, that people would call. And maybe you were in New York, you wanted to send a bottle of champagne to your buddy in California. Uh, you'd call us. We would have that delivered through our local retailer, and that was liquor by wire. 
And that uh, morphed into Liquor.com in 98 when uh, we picked up that domain. That's awesome. So when you're first getting started on there, what was what was it like in terms of like, I don't know, getting, you know, getting that initial traction? And we talk about, you know, clicks and leads and sales. And we talk about like there's all this like there's there's so like analytics are not a hard, hard thing to find these days and tracking and being really, um, you know, uh, detailed about like what's working, what's not. I have to imagine in 93 that maybe you didn't have quite all those analytics, all those stats. So what was that like kind of getting it set up? Were you were you guys kind of moving in the dark? You know, it was interesting, man. That was like the period of time where you had the dial-up modems and like literally if you wanted to download a, a picture of a bottle of wine, let's say that's what you were interested in buying. I mean, it could take two minutes to download a picture of that bottle of wine. So it was it was interesting, man, because, yeah, Google.com didn't even exist, you know, so Google Analytics didn't exist, right? So how did you really know what was going on, what was working, what wasn't working? Uh, and reality is a lot of the time you just didn't, you know, a lot of the time you really just didn't. You could tell what was working based on sales and you could tell what was working based on just general market type reactions to the things that you were doing. But it was really just a function of hits, right? At that point, that was the terminology they were using. And, and that's really the only analytic, the only metric you had to, to go on was how many hits were you getting to your website? I and mean, there was segmentation and, and uh, you know, and uh, retargeting and all of that. None, none of that existed. Pretty crazy to think about, yeah, like kind of just that the early, like what it is now is just so dramatically different. Um, and I know you went, you built this company and then tell me a little bit about that. Did you end up selling it and then coming back to it at all? Or what was the, what's the story behind Liquor.com too and kind of your involvement? So in 98, after we picked up the domain, this was around the time that the bubble had started to, to really form. And so there were companies who literally had ideas on a napkin that were getting millions of dollars in funding. And so we were like, well, geez, you know, we've got, we've got a really good domain. And we actually had done all of the quote unquote heavy lifting. We were doing millions of dollars in annual revenue at that point. And all we needed was money just to get the word out about who we were and what we were doing because today it's so much easier to be found than it ever was. I mean, you literally had to go to old media to try to push people towards new media, right? I mean, it didn't work the same way that it works now. I mean, 20 years later, whatever it is, it's just so much easier to be found through tools like Facebook ads or through some of the other, you know, marketing channels that work really well. A lot of that just didn't exist. So we were like, you know what, let's let's get some money here and let's get the notoriety that we deserve so we can get the visibility we deserve so we can get to the point where we can 10x and 20x our sales and really create a, a massive business here. And so we were blinded by that dot-com light. And literally, we signed away our management rights to the company in order to try to take the thing public because Wall Street said they wanted to see more gray hair, they needed more experienced people, this, that, and the other, which was kind of funny because at that point, the number of experienced people in, in the internet space was so few and far between. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, I can see that. But now it's like, geez, you know, at that point, 
you're like, okay, well, we want the money. We let our greed glands take over. And we allowed them basically to say, hey, here's what you need to do and how you need to do it. And March of 2000 hit when we had the S1 filed to go public. And that's when pretty much everything imploded in the dot-com world. And uh, we, like other companies at the time, couldn't get out. We couldn't take the company public. And because I had signed away you know, management rights, there was really nothing we could do. I mean, it was clear at that point that the, these saviors had no clue what they were doing. And uh, and I literally walked away from everything, including the domain, uh, after nine years of building that company. But fast forward to 2005, 2006, and like I said, I, I had literally walked away from the, from the company, walked away from the domain. It was just out of sight, out of mind for that period of time. I was able finally in 2005, 2006 uh, to get a little wake-up call there and, and just, just be like, damn, whatever happened to that domain? Because I knew it had value, but I hadn't, like I said, really thought about it. Anyway, I tracked it down to a guy in the country of Panama, and after um, quite a bit of back and forth, I, I was finally able to reclaim the domain in, uh, in 2006. That's crazy. So then after that, then what did you do with it? Because that's, you know, then we have another 10 year period here between 2006 and, and today, basically, give or take. Yeah. So once I uh, once I got it back, I immediately put it up for sale, <laughs> which, <laughs> uh, you know, seems like the uh, the most logical thing to do. And sure enough, there were uh, there were a number of different offers uh, on the domain, including one for four point two five million. And so that was the offer that I accepted, and the guy made the first few payments uh, on our installment plan and uh, didn't make another payment. So after uh, it became clear that he was going to be in default on this thing, I kept the money that uh, he had paid in and uh, and took back the domain. So it was, uh, it was an interesting period where I was like, okay, this is kind of like a sign from God or something that I need to do something here with it and um and once again didn't really trust myself enough to to build the company and felt like I needed to go to Silicon Valley and find the quote unquote right people to build the company and so I ended up forming a partnership uh with uh, with a couple guys and uh, at that point I had brought on a, a very small minority partner uh and so the four of us uh, basically started building a company together in 2009 and the deal was you know we'll help get things off the ground my partner and I, but ultimately we'll contribute the domain and those guys would build the business. And that has, that partnership has been in place since 2009. Awesome. So you guys have like, you had ownership over it, but you had somebody else kind of like come in and essentially kind of manage it. You have like essentially like a CEO kind of build and grow the business itself. Exactly. There, yeah. There's a whole, whole team there. I mean, there's 30 something people on the team right now and uh, I'm based in San Diego and they're based in San Francisco. So, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got no active day to day with it, but, uh, but I'm still actively involved on a board level. That's awesome. Okay. So that brings us to today. You've written a bunch of books. You've, you know, you've, you've gotten out there uh, and, and kind of one of the premier people when it comes to like digital marketing and stuff like that. Um, obviously this is just one of the things you've done, although I think it's, you know, pretty darn interesting story. Um, but tell me a little bit about this idea of like kind of, what you've learned from this, what you've gone on to build now, kind of what you're doing today. Maybe tell us a little bit about kind of what your focus is, because we know this is this is something that's kind of part-time that's running on the side, uh, or not necessarily part-time, but you, you just don't actively manage it, run it. So what do you actively do, and in, in, in what are you building right now um, as your focal point? And then I want to transition into kind of the, how do we get visibility at virtually no cost? Yeah, absolutely. So 
you know, one of the things that I've that I've really loved doing for a long time is broadcasting. So I've I've been involved uh, in radio off and on for for a number of years, and so one of the things that uh, that I find myself doing quite a bit of now that I that I love doing is we actually do a live radio show on a weekly basis, and that show, which is called Reinvention Radio. Uh, gives me a, a really nice platform to be able to connect with people I wouldn't normally be able to connect with. And I'm always inspired by, you know, different people's stories. And we've had folks on like the Simon Sinek's of the world and the Michael Gerber's and, you know, some of those types of, of big name folks. But we've also had people who've done really interesting things over their career, you know, over their life and reinvented their lives uh, in ways that mm, I may have never thought possible or ways that just absolutely just stunned me. And so, you know, some of the stories and the people that we've been able to bring on, uh, frankly, from those that the public doesn't know are, are oftentimes much more interesting than, than stories from those that the public does know. So that's uh, so that's been a, a big part of what, I, what I've been able to do here is do that live radio show and then we repurpose that as a podcast. Uh, but I've continued to do some things around coaching and, and speaking. I've done real estate development for the last uh, 17 years. Uh, and also, uh, I've just now started doing a little bit, uh, in terms of, uh, creating my own mastermind group and I've done live events and so on, but, uh, but I still find the most joy, the most pleasure, uh, out of working with the, the, the folks who really know what it is that they want out of their business, but don't know how to make it happen. Uh, and so working with people like that. That's fantastic. So good segue too. So when we talk about this idea of like kind of getting visibility, um, you know, how do you do it? Like, where do we even begin? Uh, because that's, I think a lot of, I mean, really, at least I would think that most people probably point to that as like their core problem. Like not enough people know about what I'm doing. I don't have yeah. eyeballs, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's a fundamental, I think, problem for 99% of the companies out there probably, I would think. Um, or at least for those getting, kind of getting started trying to grow. So talk me through this process. Like where do we begin and how do we, how do we go through it? How do we approach this idea of like getting that visibility? Yeah, you know, I mean, really, it uh, it starts even before that, which is you know, most most people that are in business that I know kind of carry around this. Mm, yeah, I don't want to say you know it's a burden, but it's certainly something that keeps them up at night, which is they feel like they're the world's best kept secret. You know, it's like they've got all of this talent and they have all of this ability, or they have the best product or the best service in the world. But nobody knows about it. And so, you know, it's kind of like if the tree falls in the in the woods and no one's there to witness, it doesn't make a sound. And the answer is, you know, well, I don't know. Right. Because no one's there to witness it. So how do we know? So we don't know that you have the world's best widget or the world's best service or whatever it might be. And so you know, the, the question really is, how how do you gain that visibility? And then it becomes this real catch-22. I mean, it's a conundrum of, of sorts, if you will, because you don't have the visibility, which means you don't have the sales. And if you don't have the sales, you can't really invest in marketing. And if you can't invest in marketing, you can't invest in visibility. And if you have no visibility, you have no sales. <laughs> so it becomes like this, you know, this big cluster uh, of this downward spiral. And reality is, though, that most people who are in business, I think need to take a step back first before they really start going out to the public and start gaining that visibility from the standpoint of, you know, I, I don't see a lot of people out there being willing to say, 
really this is my area of expertise, my topic of influence, as we call it. And as you look at some of those who have been really successful in this business world, whether it would be in the influencer space or it would be in traditional business land, if you will, what you'll find is that those who have been the most successful have been willing to say, this is my primary topic of influence. And so that's the question that I would ask you to think about, which is even before you start reaching out to gain visibility, what is that core topic of influence under which, you know, I guess upon which you want to hang your hat? This is great. So if you don't mind, I'd love to dive into this, this because you know, for me, I'm thinking of this and obviously reflecting stuff on them and, and reflecting as we have this conversation, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, this is it. And yet knowing that I struggle with this too. And so I'm sure there's other people out there who are listening to this and struggling too. Like, yeah, that's a great point. I need to figure out what is that core topic of influence. But maybe they're yeah. like me in my shoes or to some degree or, or better or worse, whatever. But where there's a challenge, it's like, yeah, we may, maybe this person is profitable doing some good work, but maybe they, they or seemingly they, they work on a number of different areas. Um, mm-hmm. or, or maybe they are even doing really well and making lots of money, but not sure well, what's that specific, you know, topic of influence. Like, how, so my yeah. question is this, how do we get to that? How do we get to that core topic of influence? Like to be able to say, yeah, this is where I, I'm going to stick my flag and this is what I do. And this is my thing. Yeah. And so I think it really boils down to the person in so far as how they make that decision. You might be able to make that decision based on, okay, look, I have 12 pieces of my pie. Of that pie, two pieces represent the majority of the revenue. And of those two pieces, I really love this one piece more so than I love the other. So the first step is really to take a look at you know, where is your revenue derived from, right? Because ultimately, if you are in business and you have a number of different means of generating revenue, you still have to hang your hat somewhere. And the question is, you know, where does the majority of your revenue come from? And I think if you really sat down and looked at it, you'd see, okay, yeah, the, the majority of my revenue comes from helping coaches put out a, a book, or the majority of my revenue comes from helping uh, you know people get on mainstream media or whatever it is for you. Or the majority of my revenue comes from this under eye cream and not from the the lotion you know that that you know heals psoriasis. I don't know whatever the hell it is, right? I mean, so it's simply a matter of whether you're in the physical product space or you're in the service business. Start with that, which is, you know, where does the majority of the revenue come from? And then if there are, in fact, two horses that are very close in the race, you know, then I do think it's a a function of, you know, which do you really enjoy doing more? And part of the answer to that question often lies with gaining clarity on, you know, who are the people that you're most compelled to serve? And I think if you can gain clarity on who the people are that you're most compelled to serve, you'll then be able to back into how can I serve them. That's awesome. I love that. I'm just kind of writing these notes down right now so I don't lose this. But I like that. So I'm just going to kind of summarize here that like if you're if you're struggling with that, that how to figure out the core topic of influence, um, number one is going through kind of 
identifying where those major sources of revenue are deriving from or coming from. Figure out that like that top one or two and an 80-20 principle, right, tells us that chances are there's going to be like one or two or whatever things that are going to bring in, you know, 80-90% of our revenue. Then kind of looking at those and seeing if there are multiple areas where you are bringing revenue, what do you enjoy more? And then I think ultimately not just what you enjoy more, but who do you, who are you most compelled to serve? I love that. And then mm-hmm. saying backing up from that will give you clarity into kind of the, the, the what, your, what your focus should be. I love that. I think it's such a simple process that anyone could use. I mean, I could use this today and like really evaluate that and say, who are the people I've enjoyed working with? Who, who have I created the most value for or the people I've worked with um, from a kind of a service-based standpoint? But I think this can obviously equally apply to, to product-based companies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do also think that, you know, the, the idea here is your topic of influence should really reflect what that final step is on the path that you want people to take with you. You know, and because ultimately, I, I think a lot of folks just kind of dive into this content. Like, let's just stay on point here in terms of topic of, topic of influence as really as it relates to content creation, right? Because that's ultimately what we're talking about here is how, is how do you create content that drives people to your business and really inspires them to say, hey, this is someone I need to work with. And a lot of people just kind of create content just for the sake of creating content without really an eye on what is the step, you know, what's that last step on the path that I want someone to take with me if it's buying a book publishing program or if it's, you know, signing up to be a part of my my mastermind or if it's hiring, you know, me as a one-on-one consultant you know, every step along that path has to lead to that ultimate objective, to that final destination. And so when you think about your topic of influence and what it is that you are going to focus on, what you're going to hone in on, it can't be completely disconnected from whatever that last step on the path is. Okay, so this is this is really useful too. So, and, and I, I, I see it again. It's, uh, I mean, again, I think, you know, I, I know I, I can recognize the, challenge I have like right here like as being this being one of them and I'm I'm sure there are other people out there too and this idea of content creation is something I kind of come back to again and again when I work with work with clients and stuff like that content is a big piece of it so it's like seeing it from a third-party perspective uh sometimes I think it's like to some degree easier for me like when I come in examine and say yeah this is x y or z but doing kind of the self-reflection is a little bit can can sometimes be more difficult I think um because we're you know we're biased and, and and all those other things but looking at this content creation, you're talking about that last step. Like, what is that last thing? So you you obviously want to have like the goal or the, you know, the objective in mind before you kind of move into that content creation. But I guess my question is this: like, you know, does it? So again, so maybe we take one of these kind of hypotheticals. Like, say it's, so you know, you mentioned you were doing kind of putting together a mastermind. So maybe we take that as an example, um, or or one-on-one consulting because I know you've done both. Um, you know, if one of those and choose whichever one you want. Maybe we can kind of riff on this for a second. Say we said, you know, that my goal was kind of to build a mastermind and it's to serve, you know, a certain you know, a certain group of people. I guess, how do I, even if I know that that's the case, how do I then kind of look at that and then say, well, this is the content I'm going to create to get there? Because I feel even that is like actually kind of like a challenging step. Because I can say, mm-hmm. well, I do want to build this mastermind, but what is the type of content? Like what, how do I lead people down there? Like, is there a process or a, a framework we can use to kind of define what kind of content we want to create or how we want to create or how we want to distribute it. I don't know if that's too broad a question. It might might be, but maybe yeah. we can riff on it. Well, 
let me put it into context then of why I created the Blastermind Club, right, as a monthly membership slash mastermind program that is very low end in terms of its cost. I mean, 97 bucks a month. You know, I'm not going to be working with anybody one on one for 97 a month. So why would I why would I do it? Because to me, it's part of the the process of taking people through that know, like, and trust, you know, get to know your face, right? I mean, it's like people have to feel comfortable with you both as a person and in terms of what your expertise is before they will sign on with you in any sort of of bigger way. So as I am thinking about helping people in the mastermind, I'm not going into it with the objective of, oh, geez, I'm going to drive everybody to, to work with me one on one or to, you know, to, to sign on for a VIP day or, you know, whatever that might be. That may be a byproduct of it, but it is in the back of my mind. Right. Because ultimately, I know that that is that's as far as I want to take someone. Right. That's as far as I can take someone. I don't want to be a partner in their business, but I can help them, you know, with their business. So ultimately, as I'm looking at the mastermind is a component of what I do in my mind. I'm thinking, great, let me serve as best as I can and give them, I mean, 10 X, I mean, 97 bucks a month. Let me, you know, let me give them $10,000 worth of value every single month, month in and month out so that they come to the natural conclusion by themselves that when they're ready to get more personal guidance from me, that I've established myself as someone who can actually help them. And so what's the content? So the content throughout the mastermind, it's of course educational and it's of course helpful and it will show them how to do certain things. Like let's say for instance, one month we focus on internet marketing and then one month we focus on book publishing and one month we focus on Facebook advertising and so on and so forth. So we cover all of the important elements of having a successful business, but at the end of the day, the conclusion is I really need more help in that particular arena, so how can I go then and get that additional help? So the content itself is helpful. The content in itself adds value. The content in itself is actionable, but again, it's based on the understanding that if someone needs additional help in one of those arenas, they can see that I then have that expertise or I have that ability to help them. Of course, if I don't, I'll, I'll turn them on to someone who does. And that's also part of the benefit of being in that type of environment is they get access to the people that I know. They get access to the people that the people in the mastermind knows, et cetera. So I don't plan on, and I'm certainly not the end all be all, but if I can help in a particular area of expertise, then I will. And if I can't, then being in that environment opens their eyes up to the fact that, hey, this is something that I need. And then they can be connected to that respective person. So I think you always have to have an eye. You always have to have an eye on the path that you want folks to go down with you and recognize when this is just not something in my area of expertise. But the value that I bring to the table is I know those people. And so I can turn you on to whomever that person might be. This is good. Okay, cool. So this makes makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I, I think it's pretty cut and dry. Um, I mean, create content that's useful, that's helpful, that's actionable in its own right, but that really that ultimately, and I, I think I captured this here, 
um, is based on the understanding that if they need help in any of these like areas that you're kind of creating content around, that you can be the solution or whatever you're offering can be the solution. Did I kind of capture that in, in a way that's that's useful and kind of accurate, Steve? It, it does. And again, I don't want to you know, make this overly confusing for yeah. for you. So, you know, reality is that as you look at your, again, we're starting with the topic of influence, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I think that you, you, most folks aren't willing to ride a horse. You know, most folks mm-hmm. aren't willing to really just hang their hat mm-hmm. on on one horse and just ride that until they get to the point where they can do other things. And so ultimately, I'm in a position where I can do other things because I've been an entrepreneur since I was 19. I mean, I'm 47 now as of, you know, as of this recording. So reality is I've earned the right to be able to say that I have expertise in multiple arenas. Most people don't. Most people need to start out as the king of of X or the queen of Y and become known in that space. I mean, if you think about even like a Deepak Chopra, you know, when you think back to when he started out in the 70s, I mean, when he was talking meditation and when he was talking about, you know, being conscious and consciously aware and, you know, those sort of phrases, I mean, people thought he was a nutcase, right? I mean, it's just like, the hell is this guy talking about? Who's going to want to sit in a room in the dark and, you know, and close your eyes and be still? You know, how is that going to help me in any way, shape or form in my life? And at that time, there was a very, very, very small number of people. One might argue a very small niche of people who considered themselves to be consciously aware or, or spiritual in any you know, meaningful way. And so you look at him now and you go, well, geez, you know, the guy can do anything. Well, that's right. He can do anything now. But when he started out, he didn't. When he started out, he really built his reputation. He built his business. He built everything around the foundation of helping people become spiritually aware. And so at that point here in the States, again, it was just it wasn't commonplace. I mean, people literally thought this guy's a whack job. But over time, he's been able to establish that no like and trust factor and get people comfortable with who he is and what he does. So now they'll buy anything from him. But it didn't start out that way. This is good stuff. And I think, you know, and you probably run into this a lot, Steve, but and tell, tell me if you do or maybe I'm being presumptuous. I know I feel like anytime I'm working with somebody who's like, uh, not necessarily working, but even just like, you know, having a passing conversation or something like that, or somebody replies to my newsletter and they're stuck or struggling with something and and if they do tell me about their vision or what they want to achieve, I, I feel like I see this time and time and time again. They'll actually look at somebody, just a great example, like Deepak Chopra, and, and saying like, oh, this is what I want to do because he does all these different areas. And that's what they, in their mind, that they create in their mind. Like, I want to I want to work in these different, you know, these three to five to ten areas and I want to do these different things. And and it sounds to me like kind of the way we're having this discussion, like that is itself can, is, is crippling. And if you choose, and if you start out trying to to do all those things, you, you probably won't succeed in any of them, is, or at least it's very likely. I mean, obviously there's exceptions, but it sounds like by you almost kind of spread yourself thin and the better place to start is with one thing and it's to carve out that niche, carve out that thing. You know, you, you use the term like hang your hat. I think I use the term like plant your flag, that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. carve out that one area where you're going to kind of dominate it and then you can expand from there. But until you've done that, until you've kind of gained that ground, if we want to use like some kind of military metaphors here, 
You know what I mean? Like you, mm-hmm. you can't you can't expand, can you? Um, it, you can, but you just won't gain the kind of traction that you really want for your business because ultimately, the, here here's how I look at it, which is. Uh, and, and this is something, and I've known Brennan Burchard for a number of years. He actually spoke at uh, one of my events back in uh, 2013. And and what Brendan says, and, and I I got to tell you, I think in in this arena, especially in this sort of this coaching, authoring, speakering, solopreneuring, you know, laptop lifestyling you know, type world, I think it's a I think it it holds a lot of water. Which is if you can't get to the point of doing a million dollars in sales in one thing, you have no right going to anything else so do whatever it is that you need to do to build one aspect of your business to a million dollars and then and only then should you contemplate expanding outwards Ooh, i like that is that you say is that brendan's idea or is that your idea or is that like a good combination i I really like that idea yeah i mean this is something that brendan and i spoke about a number of years ago and uh and so it's it's definitely uh, it's a good rule of thumb that I've taken uh, to heart for quite some time. And, and reality is, you know, if you struggle on a consistent basis with whatever it is that you're doing to get that to a million dollars, then there's probably two things at play. One is you probably don't have clarity around what your what is. And I know you've mentioned that in the intro there, and I appreciate you, you doing so. And so there's probably a disconnect. There's a disconnect between who you inherently are and what it is that you're actually doing. Or, and, the market doesn't have demand for what it is that you're offering. So I would say that if you are really struggling with getting to a million dollars with whatever that one thing is then it's one of those two issues. Either you don't have clarity on your what, and so there's a big disconnect and it shows, uh, or there's no market demand for what you're doing. Okay, cool. No, this is this is really great. And and hopefully we're not going off in too much of a tangent outside of the, the original topic. And I, but I, I like this, and I like this this flow of thought, and I think it's super useful, and I, I think it's going to be really powerful for, for others. Typically, I'd, I'd, I'd wind up around this time, but if you have maybe another 5, 10 minutes, Steve, we can keep kind of riffing on this if, if that's okay with you. Of course. Cool. So, so talk me through this then. I, I, I love this. This makes it like pretty, pretty crystal clear. Like, and I love the idea of like moving to a million. Cause I mean, yeah, if you can't, like what, why should you be trying to like move into these other avenues and other paths? And I think it's just, it's one of those things I, I personally like definitely take to heart and say, yeah, like, yeah, that's gotta be kind of my objective this year is get to that 1 million, um, in the core business and that, that thing that we offer. Cause I think even just kind of going with that mindset, I, I get this feeling that I'm going to start kind of cutting out the fat on a lot of other things. And, and what I'm curious about is this, is that you mentioned like if you're struggling to get to that one million, you mentioned it's either, you know, that what, or it's the market doesn't have demand for what it is that you're offering. Um, you know, my, my, my thought is that if somebody's already doing, you know, six figures, kind of healthy six figures, that probably there is some sort of market demand. So the only thing then that, that's left is that to get to that one million is that what. So talk me through that. Like, is there a way that we can kind of like, and maybe it kind of comes back and we're just kind of, I hope we're not beating a dead horse here, but we're kind of coming back maybe to that objective of who we're serving and why we're serving them and just kind of getting very crystal clear on it. Is that kind of like then, is that the solution to get to that kind of specific what so we can grow to that 1 million point? Yeah, and, and I really do think that anyone can create a business that, that does okay. And 
for you, that might be all you need. I mean, if you're a stay-at-home mom and having another 10 or 20 grand come in over the course of a year is is the goal because it would definitely help with whatever those bills or expenses are or, you know, college ed or whatever it is that you're trying to, to save for, then that may just simply be enough. And who are we to say otherwise? But if you do aspire for more, and I think that's really one of the questions that you have to ask yourself is, do I, in fact, aspire to build something like that? And a lot of people, when they sit down and, they, and they're really honest with themselves, it's a no. You know, it's like, do I and this is a, an interesting question to, to contemplate, which is, you know, do I want to build a business that supports me in the lifestyle that I want to create? Or do I actually want to build an organization? Because oftentimes the answer is no, you don't want to build an organization. You just want to build enough of a business to create a decent lifestyle for you and, and for your family. So that's you know a really important question to, to be able to answer. And I've gone through various phases in my life where I've actually wanted to build an organization uh, and where I just simply wanted to have lifestyle. And so that's a pretty important question that you have to be able to answer. But, you know, ultimately, I do believe that we are each wired to excel in, in very specific ways. And when you are honoring that, that gift that you have been given and you are leveraging a primary vehicle that effectively helps those you are most compelled to serve, it almost feels effortless to do what it is that you're doing and to accomplish the results that you want to accomplish. And for far too few of us, it never feels that way. It always feels like work. And so that's, uh, that's another time to really step back and take a look in the mirror and, and just say, am I doing this because it's a commodity-driven opportunity or am I doing this because I'm naturally wired to excel at this and it really puts fire in my soul? Mm, I like that. I'm just capturing that in my notes. Is this a commodity-driven opportunity or is this something that's you know, is, is kind of more of a passion, more of a fire that kind of fulfills you. Is that about right? Yeah, for sure. So, and that's a great question. So then like kind of when we look at kind of what you're doing now versus maybe, you know, building liquor.com or, or kind of your early days and working in these different kind of like uh, areas where it's, it seems like you, that was your intention was building an organization. So you've done both. I have done both. Yeah. And, and look, reality is, it ebbs and it flows. And so the question really becomes, which does it ebb more towards? <laughs> if it, and if it ebbs more towards, you know, just having a, enough income to support your desired lifestyle, then you've got your answer. But reality is, until you've done both, you may not really know. That's awesome. That's interesting. I like that. Uh, I feel like just even that, kind of putting it in that framework, it kind of almost like eases the burden and says like, you don't have to, build an organization if you don't want. And I feel like that's important because I think there's a lot of people out there who who feel driven to like build this thing. And it's like, you know, what is it? Why are you doing it? Um, you know, maybe it's okay if you're making like, you know, a decent amount of money on the side and that's mm -hmm. all it is. Maybe it doesn't have to become more than that. Do you find that you have those kind of interactions with people, maybe either the people who join your mastermind or even just outside of that, that this is kind of like one of those types of conversations or topics that just comes up again and again? Yeah, I, I do find that some sometimes people are building a business 
for the accolades or building the business to impress others or building the business because they think that when they get to X spot on, on the path there, that they're going to find the happiness or the fulfillment or whatever it is that they feel is just waiting for them on the other side. And so reality is, you know, look, you you and you alone have to figure out what it is that's most important to you. I mean, for me, when my first son was born, what was most important for me was to be able to walk him to school every day, to be able to give him every other bottle, right? And then when my second son was born, you know, same thing, right? So it's like for the better part of, of 13 years, I've taken a step back because I really wanted to be able to experience those moments, to be able to coach the Little League teams and to be able to take them to jujitsu and roll with them, you know, and these sort of things, right? So it really does just boil down to why are you doing what you're doing? And I think that's why Simon Sinek's work has been uh, so widely accepted um, because there are external drivers that move so many of us to make the decisions that we make. And that's why I do think at the end of the day, if you're able to combine the power of your what, which is everything that is internal, which is really in your DNA, there's nothing you can do about it other than ignore it. Uh, and if you combine that with the power of the why, so the what and the why together, it can be very, very powerful. So I actually think you need to have a clear understanding of, of both why you do what it is that you do. So that would be the external. Uh, and then, of course, what your what is so that you're clear on on who you are. Mm, interesting. OK. And real quick on that, then. OK, I, I like this differentiation, too. So the what is is in your DNA. That's the, that's the deep rooted stuff. Um, the why, that's kind of the external to your serve. Did I, did I capture that about right? That's how I look at it. I mean, Simon and I had a conversation about mm -hmm. it. He'll tell you it's a semantical issue. Sure. But ultimately, I think that you can choose your why. Like you can choose to feed starving children mm -hmm. in Africa or you can choose to yeah. you know, get your kids into the best college or whatever it might be. You can choose your why. I don't believe that you can choose your what. It is in your DNA. It is that which has chosen you. It's not that which you have chosen. I love it. Dude, this is great. Steve, well, I guess real quick, is there anything that you feel, I mean, maybe we just totally went off on a different tangent, but, you know, we talked about, you know, the idea of getting visibility at, at virtually no cost. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Because, I mean, we, we definitely riffed on a couple of great ideas here that I think are, are super important, at least fundamentally. But anything else you'd like to add to that topic, or if there's just not enough time to cover that, I guess where you can shoot people, where they can find out more about this idea of kind of like getting this vis visibility at no cost or... Uh, mm -hmm. Or anything like that. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm I'm a big proponent of leveraging the power of new media, whether it's podcasting or blogging or social media or apps or uh, you know one one of those tools, if you will, marketing tools that are available to you. And very few people that I see uh, are out there doing it doing it well. And, and I think a, a big reason why they struggle is again because they haven't started at square one which is being able to identify their topic of influence. Now, again, there's a lot more to that, but let me just present it to you this way, which is I have recently come across a number of, of blogs and shows and video channels and so on that, that I really like, and they're really, really specific, right? I mean, it's, it's a difference between push media where you just kind of put something out and, and if somebody consumes it, you know, great, versus pull media, which is putting something out and not pushing it on anybody, but putting it out in a way where people have the ability to 
access it and consume it. And basically by raising their hand and they're saying, hey, I want to listen to this or I want to read this or I want to watch this is simply the most highly targeted, most valuable lead on on the face of the earth. You can do Facebook ads to the cows come home. But if you've got a show on, uh, you know, on, on battling anorexia and there are people who actually have shows that are all, you know, that talk about battling anorexia. If you are raising your hand and you are downloading that show and you are listening to that, then reality is that is the most highly targeted, highly qualified lead you could possibly find, because this is someone who clearly has an interest in that subject matter. And so can you imagine if you simply said, you know, hey, we've got a free guide to 10 things you can start doing tomorrow to help you battle your eating disorder, you're going to get people opting in like wildfire. And then ultimately, the people that are opting in, even if they're 10 at a time, 50 at a time, whatever it might be, the value to you as a practitioner who focuses on that particular market, on the, on, you know, on those particular teachings, uh, is I mean, it, it, you, you can't even calculate the difference in the value of that lead versus what someone else uh, might be bringing to the table just because they simply found you you know, somewhere. So the, the point only being that in this arena of new media, I, it, it goes back to you know, really just gaining clarity on that topic of influence and becoming the expert in that particular arena. And then after you've built up a million dollar business around that, expanding outwards. But to me, people are spending, you know, they're just they're just wasting money. I mean, there's traffic, of course, is is really, you know, important. But but paid traffic isn't even the highest quality traffic that you can find. And most people are just doing it wrong and, and they're wasting a ton of time and energy and resources, not because the marketing platform that they're using isn't valuable and can't bring solid leads to the table, but because the message that they're putting out isn't nearly focused enough where you're basically getting people to say, no, I'm not, that doesn't interest me versus yes, this is something that's keeping me awake at night. Mm, Good stuff. Well, Steve, I just want to say thank you for being on In the Trenches. I want to give you the floor. Where can people reach out to find you and get more access to your stuff, read more about you, maybe join your mastermind? Sure. So the uh, so the mastermind is actually called Blastermind, and you can find out more information at blastermind.club, so blastermind.club. Uh, if you want to find out more about me or grab a free copy of my New York Times bestselling book, What Is Your What?, Discover the one amazing thing you were born to do. You can uh, probably the best place is just go to Steve Olsher, O-L-S-H-E-R dot com. Perfect. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. Steve, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches, man. Very enlightening, very powerful. I'll be making sure to share this with everyone I know. And for those listening, definitely share this with people. You know, I think they'll get a lot of value out of this conversation. So, Steve, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.